We are Centrepoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10 a.m. Enjoy the message. Well, hello, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Do come and, um, come and grab your seats. So good to gather together. And uh, if you're new, can I just add my welcome to you along with Catherine's. Um, it's just, I'm really pleased that you've been able to come this morning and just be a church family together. Um, you know, this year, I absolutely loved Christmas. Um, we've got two young children, Talia, who's six, and Naya, who's five. And so Christmas was like especially just exciting for us this year as our children really understood all that, it, all that Christmas is and presents and family time and Santa and um, yeah, Christmas trees and all that kind of stuff. And uh, a big thing for us as a family this year was that Monopoly came out as a family game. It's finally arrived. Now the next 20 years of our life is taken up with this as a Christmas tradition. And this year was the first year and our kids got into it into a big way. And um, somehow ridiculously, Naya, our youngest, five, she just kept winning. And, she, I, I, and I'm not the type of dad that lets my children win. Like, she just kept winning. So much so, Talia, she kind of started saying, oh, Daddy, I want to go on Naya's team because I know that Naya always wins. And um, they're trying to gang up on that. Uh, anyway, it was, yeah, it was great. And we were playing the game and there was just one, there was this one occasion where we were playing, it was, it was in the afternoon, and I just kept landing on properties and buying them up and, and missing other people's properties and building up my empire and the cash was flowing in and I could sit there and survey all my notes and every now and again I might change up a bunch of the smaller notes so I got some nice big shiny mega notes and um, it, it was great, it was all, I was making kind of strategic moves, feeling very proud of myself, feeling good uh, because I was wiping the floor with the rest of my my family and uh, it was all building up and one by one they fell to my mighty empire and uh, they were handing over their properties to me so I was just kept increasing and growing and um, it was just amazing and soon the end of the game came. I destroyed all the others, they'd gone off crying um, in their tears and I sat there to survey all my hard work. It was amazing, it was good. Everyone had left the table and I was there kind of recounting my cash, making, yeah, look at this, and trying to memorise how much I had because I, I felt like this is some kind of record that should be recorded for all time. And I remember looking at all my, my different properties and seeing it all. And then the dreaded words came, darling, it's dinner time, we need to pack it all away. And suddenly I'm, I'm there, all, all my hard work, everything that I'd seemed to accomplish, all had to go back in the box. And the lid was shut. That was it. Do you know there is going to be a time for every single one of us, and you won't know when, but it will happen when you're, you will get packed away into a box your whole life where all the things that you've worked so hard for, you won't be able to enjoy any longer. The, the, the house, the car, the job, the friendships, it'll all be gone. For my family, that, that game is long gone in their memories. They don't even remember my epic victory. And when I think back 200 years, um, there were billions of people living on our planet even just 200 years ago. And yeah, I could probably only count maybe on one hand the names that I can remember. 
in, and in a few hundred years' time, very few people will remember me or you. Our lives will be a distant memory. You know, uh, because everything goes back in the box. Last year, the Independent uh, newspaper reported an article um, and it boiled down the whole world to 100 people. And it, it kind of said, if the whole world is 100 people, what would it be like? And 50 people will be women and 50 people will be men and so on. Remarkably, only five people um, would have English as their first language and uh, loads of the other, like, there's hundreds of other languages obviously, out there. But sometimes I can think in, you know, in, in Surrey that English is the dominant language of the world. But actually, in terms of first language, actually, only five of the hundred would be. But it showed that if you lived in a climate-controlled accommodation, like either with central heating or aircon, that if you had access to electricity in your home, hot and cold water on tap, if you had Wi-Fi and if you had anything above a college education, including a college edu- education... If you had access to healthcare and you had your own transport and a regular income, then you were better off than 98 other people. 98 people looked to you and thought, I want your life. And if you then actually owned your house and owned your car, then 99 people would look up to you and want your life, wish that they could have everything that you had. And so you would expect that for the majority of people living in our kind of communities, living in the, in the UK, maybe living in the West, who have many of these things, that we would be the happiest, joyful, most content people on the planet. And so the kind of question is, well, why is that perhaps not the case? There was a man called Solomon in the Bible who was the king of the Israelite nation after David, and he was probably the number one richest man in, on the planet at that time. And he spent a lifetime going after everything, going after women, going after wealth, power, prestige, success. And his conclusion, I guess much like my Monopoly game, was that it's meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Now He goes on, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. He summarised that the best thing that anyone could do in their life, the best thing they could build, that the time that they should spend their energy and effort on is to seek God and to live for him. And that all these other things are just peripheral. They're they're just bonus points or not bonus points. They're just there, but they're not the thing that's going to make the difference. And so we started our new series last week called Equipped. And throughout the series, our aim is to help us gear up for the plans of God, is, is to look at all that it means to be a people that share our lives with others. Someone, this kind of whole, someone put it like this, that people are made to worship God. And the chief goal of the church is not actually mission. It's not actually sharing our faith. The chief goal of the church is to worship God. But the mission exists because worship doesn't. The mission of the church to encourage people to share our faith, to to share what we've experienced with others, that mission exists because other other people don't know all that it means to come into God's presence and to worship him and to know a life fulfilled by him. For every Christian, the best thing that has ever happened in your life is that you came to know Jesus. It's the number one best thing. 
this ever happens in your life. Jesus gives you a sense of direction, a family to belong to, a security in the future, a helper in the Holy Spirit, a hope beyond the grave, a peace amidst the storm, a father who will never leave you or forsake you, and much, much more. This is the source of true life's kind of content and joy and happiness. And yet, for some reason, all of us, including me, can find it really easy going about our days, our weeks, our months, just kind of getting comfortable living our lives, giving more concern to building our empire, to building our houses, our education, our jobs. And all these things are are good stuff, but we can spend much more concern wrapped in those things than perhaps the greatest, most precious gift we've ever been given, which is the good news of the gospel. We can all fall into the trap of thinking more stuff equals more joy. And so last week we heard about how Running away from sharing the good news of the gospel to the ones and twos in front of us is like running away from our identity for those who have put their trust in Jesus. And this week we're going to look at how this wonderful message that we have, how it can fulfil some of our community's deepest needs. It's called equipped with a precious message. And so for those here that have already put their trust in Jesus... Like I just, I wonder, here's, here's a good question for me to ask you, I wonder, or to, for you to think about. If you remember what life was like before you became a Christian, or if you've been a Christian since you were a young child, if you remember, why have you chosen to stick with God? If you think about it, well, there's been so many other attractive worldviews that exist out there, I wonder for you, why? why? Why do you stick with believing in Jesus? Why do you stick with it? Let me tell you about me. For me, before I became a Christian, my life was really defined by the people around me. And so my values, my, my morals, my behaviour was all determined really by what others expected of me to be like. And what, how kind of the level of other people's morals and what they perceived to be kind of acceptable or, or not. And so as a young black man living in Brighton, the world screamed at me that my role should be playing the character of like a gangster or someone who was really cool with women or someone who knew where to get drugs and to source them and to deliver them. That was kind of what was told to me um, through all sorts of different means and I was meant to play the one that didn't really take school seriously and so I lived life really battling the pressure to conform to my friend's views um, compared to perhaps my own and I I gave into them in, in a big way and when I couldn't live up to it I felt shame for letting perhaps others people down or letting myself down I, was, I guess I was kind of lost without really any kind of purpose to life other than to grow up, eat, sleep, work, repeat. Have good friends perhaps, enjoy life, maybe one day uh, have children, build my empire and then die. Meaningless. At that age I wouldn't have articulated it in that way, I don't think. But I know that there was always a sense of being lost until I found Jesus. Until there was this girl who took me along to a church who said, come on, let's talk about this more. I went on an alpha course and started to discover that God could be the answer and Jesus could be the answer to all sorts of different things, to my identity and my, to my value, to my purpose in life. And 
So it gave me a framework of living that wasn't based on opinions that changed from one week to the next or some kind of um, slippery, slopey values, but actually a foundation to base my life on that remains solid and has done ever since. The reality is that every single person will have their box moment. When you kind of survey your life and assess all that you've built and you wonder, is it all worth it? What's it all for? And I want to let you know that there is a precious message, a wonderful message in the good news of the gospel. And um, there was, there's this quote from um, Madonna who she, she kind of asks, she, she just wonders about her life and she kind of wishes that many people could kind of be as famous as she is to see that there's just emptiness actually in the fame and emptiness in the money. Uh, P. Diddy put it like this, more money, more problems. And... It's true. And yet we have a wonderful, precious message that meets some needs. And so here's some needs that I want to talk about. I want to talk about three needs this morning that I think I can see in our society and how the gospel can be the answer to those needs. So here we go. We've got guilt. Oh, so that's the message. Um, these, are the, these are the needs. First one is guilt. This is big in the UK. Have you ever noticed that we live in a culture where accidents just don't happen anymore? Accidents don't happen. Someone must be guilty of the crime. And so an inquiry needs to take place. And injury lawyers for you thrive. And um, someone has to be guilty. And we all know that. We know that because we feel it. We often feel a sense of guilt. We try to tell ourselves that there's this kind of no God, there's no moral high values, so that you can do anything you like as long as you don't hurt children is kind of the main mantra of our UK. But the reality is that When you steal something, however small, you feel guilty. When you do something a bit dodgy at work, you worry that someone might catch you because you know you've done something wrong. If you commit adultery and you you tell yourself that you deserve to be happy and that's life's goal, or somehow it's your partner's fault, but deep down you feel rubbish inside. You hate yourself when you snap at your kids or you, you bark at your spouse or you, you shout at your parents and you tell them that you hate them and you try to justify it all and you promise yourself that you'll do better next time but a few weeks later you, you can't even keep your own standards and you just feel guilty. For years people in our community can feel deep down sense of guilt so much so that when something bad happens to them they almost feel like it's deserved because they did wrong before. Even more so, we can look at other people's lives and we can see other people that are in perhaps bad situations and we justify, well, it's because, well, they must be guilty. They've done something wrong. They must have made bad choices and bad decisions and they've got themselves into this position and so they are guilty of their own situation and that's why they're there. Guilt is key, is big. Another one is shame. Shame can come into all of these things. You can feel shame when you do that thing that you think doesn't hurt anyone, that no one else will find out about, but you feel sick inside because this thing that some might classify as sin, you might classify as something else, seems to have this power in you that you just can't break. You feel shame when you do something wrong and a loved one finds out and their reaction to your sin just shocks you. Not, oh, flip, yeah, that, that was bad. And you know that you're wrong. And you think to yourself, what was I thinking? 
People feel shame when they feel like they should do better and be better. And when they've perhaps, you know, you've been at uni for three years and, and you know, your parents have invested a lot in you and you've got this massive loan and, and yet you're not quite getting the grades that you feel like you should and you can feel shame. Or, or you get to the end and you finish and then you decide to go into a, a job role that's completely different to your degree and sometimes you can feel, oh, shame coming to speak to your parents. People can feel shame when they go on a night out and they perhaps drink a bit too much and what they felt they should have and they, they do silly things and they can feel shame and they kind of squash it under the banner of, well, I was just hammered or I can't remember it anyway, but it's in order to hide their shame. Shame can come too when something bad happens to us and externally our, our reputation can be damaged and that can have repercussions, not just on ourselves, but sometimes even on our families. And we can make decisions um, not to associate with particular types of people as it might bring shame on our own reputation. Shame can be a big factor in, in society. We might not use those labels to label it that way, but when we're talking to our friends, often sometimes some of the feelings they might perceive or they might feel are there's guilt, there's shame, and then there's also fear. We can have fear, fear that we have to do something or not do something, or if we don't do something, that bad stuff will happen to us. The idea of karma is massive. You'll hear people using the word karma, and it's spoken a lot more, or the universe balancing itself out. People even wish karma on others if they treat them badly. You're driving along the road and someone cuts you up, and you're like, oh, karma's going to come back and bite you. You know, you, you kind of, you want something bad to happen to them. We can have all sorts of other fears, a fear of being different, fear of missing out, FOMO. Um, I played in a scout marching band for seven years, playing the baritone. And um, I was like 16. I, I, at one point, I got given a medal for the best under-18 baritone player in the scout marching band movement in the UK. Go, Chris. And... A couple of months later, my mates, they joined a football club and their football club was on the same evening as band practice. And so I quit. I made up something to my mum and I quit because I had fear of missing out. And I just gave up seven years and just joined, joined a football team and did that instead. You can, we can have fears of all sorts of different things. Fear of not being enough. Uh, Catherine had a... Um, Mufti Day the other day at her school where you can wear whatever you like. And from year seven all the way up to sixth form, she was saying every kid was wearing the same thing. It was like the kind of um, casual, like joggy bottoms, girls wearing a crop top, guys wearing a baggy T-shirt, all with a big bomber jacket and, uh, and the sneakers. Everyone. Fear of being different. I don't want to step out of the boat. This is what's expected of my age group. And I need to be like them. I need to fit in fear sometimes of our children missing out like I know we can have fears we, we've got a birthday coming up it's on a Sunday morning and we're going to be here but we can oh, oh if we don't go then if we don't we know will our children will they miss out on building those friendships or you know what will happen there luckily there's another one a few weeks later which is on Sunday afternoon and so it's like, oh phew that's good but you know we can have we can have all sorts of fears fear of not having it all Fear of what other colleagues might think of us if we really let them in and let them know about who we are. People from different cultures and people from different cultures in our community and from all sorts of people 
from that we meet in every single scenario will have all of these fears. You could add to those things like loneliness, um, even famous families separating, you know. You can have loneliness, a separation. We can have anxiety, lack of direction, purpose, emptiness, a weariness of always striving and, and trying and, and aiming for those things, even when we feel like we have it all, even when we're in the 1% of the most well-off people in the world, when 99 others can look up to us, we can still feel like there is an emptiness inside. Uh, it's remarkable that we're in that, for many of us, we're in that position, and if we're not in the 1%, we're probably in the 2% or in the 3%, depending on our circumstances. And yet we can feel like, oh, it's not enough. I don't have enough. You know, the gospel is a precious message because it has an answer to all these things. And so let's just talk about them. And you would have noticed that we haven't pulled out the Bible yet. And so it's good, isn't it, to make sure that we, we attach some of these. What does the Bible say about some of these different things? So let's talk about guilt. The Bible says that instead of guilt, God is able to proclaim us innocent. And so in Ephesians 1, verse 4 to 8, it says this, He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of his God's grace that he lavished on us. There's an amazing story in John chapter 8 where there's a woman who, uh, she's not married and she's sleeping with a guy and a bunch of the other kind of religious people of the day, they kind of grab her and they drag her naked to Jesus and say, look, she was caught in adultery. She was sleeping with someone that's not her wife. Notice they didn't get the man, they got, they got the women and they start picking up stones and getting ready to stone her and, and there's this moment where Jesus kind of nails them for their hypocrisy and says, hey, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone and one by one they, they drop their stones and they, they walk away and Jesus turns to them and says, hey, they don't condemn you, neither do I. John 3.16 and 17 say that um, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life and not perish. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. God came and God sent his son Jesus in order to, become, to declare the message of innocence over creation, not because creation is innocent, but because he is innocent and by his blood, by his um, death on the cross, he is able to pay the price for our sins so that he takes on the penalty. He takes on the guilt and the shame and he takes it all on. He pays the price for it so that we can walk declared innocent in his sight. Instead of sitting high on a seat above heaven, looking down on the earth and judging and condemning it, instead God sent his one and only son freely given to us freely given to come to pay the price for the sin um, so that we can know, so that our guilt and our shame can be nailed to the cross and we can know everlasting love and life. And so it gives us power to apologise. It gives us power to walk in freedom. It gives us power to forgive. It gives us power to, to know joy and peace in this life because we don't have to carry around this sense of, of guilt in our lives anymore because he has declared 
us forgiven and blameless and holy. Last night, um, after I'd finished preparing for today, uh, me and Catherine just sat down. We just wanted to pray together for this morning. And as we prayed, we just felt for each of these things, a couple of words coming up. And so this is one word it might relate to you. I think it's Catherine said this. She felt that someone perhaps here is weighed down by life. And in order to cope, you've got back into bad habits. Perhaps once people knew that you had these bad habits in the past and that they were all dealt with and you've moved on from there. But now that something in life has has been happening, you've kind of got yourself back into those bad habits. that It's been brought up again. And you feel a real sense of guilt um, or, yeah, bringing that into the light. And we felt, as we were just praying, whoever you are, that God wants to encourage you to bring it into the light rather than keeping it in the darkness. And there's, there's, no, you don't, there's no guilt. God has declared you righteous by his blood, that you can come into his presence and you can know him. And so if that's you, we just want to encourage you. Like, you, you, don't, you don't need to hide it. That, that will just cause you, you know, real... That's just gonna, you're going to be in a cave. Actually, we want to encourage you to maybe go back to that friend that you spoke to before and just talk to them. There, there'll be this grace for you and you can know them. You can know that in your life. What about shame? For shame, um, the Bible talks about honour. And so there's an amazing story of a prodigal son. And the prodigal son, uh, there was this, there's a st- story that Jesus tells about a, fa- a son who is living in his household and rather than waiting for his son to die, uh, for his father, sorry, to die, he demands his inheritance from his father and his father gives it to him freely and he runs off, he squanders it, he ends up um, having spent all his money in real squalor. The only job he can find is feeding pigs and he's kind of living in, in that situation. He has so little money that he kind of longs for the food that the pigs eat and in a Jewish culture this is obviously the most horrendous thing ever. And so he is, he is dirty, full of shame, and he's, as he starts to walk back to his father, he's rehearsing this speech of apology and how he's going to try to make it up and he'll become his servant. And, and he's not expecting anything. He'd just like to be like a servant so he, at least he could live in the servant's quarters and have a little bit better food than the pig's pods. And um, he's rehearsing this speech and as he's rehearsing it in his mind and approaching his father, the father runs. He lifts up um, his tunic, which again was, would be abhorrent in that day but he doesn't care and he runs and he and all the dirt and the shame that's covered in this son he wraps a robe around him he puts a ring on his finger he declares authority in this son he welcomes back into the fold and he gives him a place of honor um, at the right hand of him at the banquet he puts on a feast and lavishes him and this is a whole kind of, we read it earlier the adoption to sonship that's what it means it means brought into his family shame being covered Guilt being taken away. And Ephesians 2 verse 6 puts it like this. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's a wonderful gift as he comes and he he covers our shame. He grants us 
honour. He brings us into his household. The Father in heaven throws a party and Jesus declares, you know, there's many rooms in the house and there's one for you and you and you and you. There's one for our friends, our families, our neighbours. All we need to do is come in and hear the message and respond to it. We can be citizens of heaven, heirs to the king. It's a precious message. Um, there used to be a group of people that went into a prison that was near where I used to live and they would go in every single week and every now and again I'd be invited to go in and speak at this prison and there was this one um, evening where I went there and that day this guy called Ashley had been sent into prison and it was his first day in prison and he he walked into the chaplain uh, which is where we were like doing some services and he, uh, he couldn't look at anyone in the eye he obviously first night in prison he had many years ahead of him and he was just completely full of shame and I, I just remember seeing this shy boy sort of trying to in, approach a conversation and you know really really difficult but nine months later um well I'd, I'd yeah I'd gone back a few times but I don't remember seeing him nine months later I I went back again, and as I walked in, that same boy, Ashley, was there. Oh, hello, good evening, welcome to the chaplain. Here's a tea, would you like tea, coffee, would you like some biscuits? He was handing it all out to everyone. He was helping to conduct the meetings and the services. And this guy, the difference in his life, gone from shame to honour, gone from guilt to innocence. He's completely free from, he's still in the same situation. Still in prison, still doing his time, but the radiance on his face, the, the joy that's come to him. And, and I, I got chatting to him then, I was like, I couldn't believe it was the same guy. And he was like, yeah, and these people that have been helping me, I've been coming along each week, every night, I've been hearing more about God, I've, I've put my trust in him. It, it, there was going to be a baptism service where he was going to get baptised and he was starting to change his life around. He, he, he started doing a course um, where he was able to do a degree, which he was going to, he said, oh, if I'm going to be here for three years, I might as well make the most of it. And, um, and his whole life was being changed around. That is what happens when you come into the presence of the king and you're given a robe and a ring and you're saying, you are loved and you're cherished. And you can know this. It's a precious message. And, you know, as we prayed yesterday, um, again, another word, a little bit random, but we felt that perhaps there was someone here who, when they were younger, had some kind of trauma Maybe, maybe an accident, we don't know, maybe in childhood. And right now there is a child or a grandchild in their life who is the same age as them when they had the trauma. And seeing that child at the same age has brought back all these memories and an increased sense of shame for that situation. And we just felt that God wants you to know that in him you are dignified and that he can bring healing to you, wholeness to you, because your, your shame is now to the cross. It's been dealt with. And he comes and clothes you in a robe. And says, you're my son, you're my daughter. And I love you. The third thing was fear. Those who spend their lives trying to do more good than bad so that karma doesn't come back to bite them or, or get involved with superstitious activity like reading their cards, reading their palms, reading their tea leaves, reading their star signs. Um, those who feel that they're somehow cursed because of past sin or failure of the, on, yeah, on their own behalf or because of what someone else has done, you know, you don't need to fear. That, that fear of missing out, that fear of others, fear of not fitting in, fear of not being perfect, 
You know what? There's these amazing stories throughout the Gospels. I'm not going to pin it on one. Where Jesus performed miracles. Where he calmed storms. Where he showed power over spiritual realms and spiritual forces. Power over sickness. Power over curses. Jesus is completely able to destroy the enemy and the opposite of fear is power and you can come into his presence and know his power in your life through the Holy Spirit. There's no need to fear because there's another story where Jesus is sitting, he's in the bottom of a boat and there's a big storm and he's lying down and he's asleep on a pillow and there's just chaos all around, the storm is raging and the disciples are kind of running around in fear and they wake him up and they're like, Jesus, what? You know, how can you sleep in this? And he ends up calming the storms and they're like, who is this guy? Even the storms obey him and the seas obey him. Back then, the, the, kind of, the gods of the weather, the gods of the star, sky, sun, moon and, and, the, and the seas, they were big gods. And yet, out of word, God was able to calm them. There is power in his name. He is able to do mighty things. Even nature obeys him. Ephesians puts it like this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same uh, as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is, vote, is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. Jesus' power wasn't enough for him just to deal with the demonic activity, with the storms and the seas and the things going on in his day, but in the age to come. That's our day. The same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead after he crucified him on the cross is the same power as that at work through the Holy Spirit in me and you today and everyone who calls on the name of Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And so whatever you or the people you know are facing, however fearful you might be of the things that you've got coming up in life, there is great power for those who believe to not live in fear but in faith to be a people of hope for all that God is able to do and will do. There is power for those who believe and that power is the same that God used, yeah, to raise Christ from the dead. Do you know what that produces? It produces a security, a love, a forgiveness, a value, a dignity in our lives that is unparalleled. It produces a stability that even in the midst of great um, sickness trials, um, great... Uh, job trials, great relationship trials that we can know an underlying peace that surpasses all understanding and that we can trust him and so Jesus gives us his authority he says, you know, I give you all authority to go into the world to share this precious message this good news and you, you can know that you are declared innocent you can know that you can be freed from shame and um, you can have honour and also you have power to do that and in that, in that last one, in this, in this power, and we just felt, again, as we prayed, that for someone, there might be someone here who perhaps it's on the school gate, uh, they're on the school gate regularly, and they've been perhaps fearful of sharing their, their life with those around them. Maybe people know a little bit about you, um, but there's been kind of play dates in the past where you've, you've wanted to share more, but you've just kind of bottled it, really, 
in order to kind of just keep the friendship alive and not to kind of rock any boats um, and not to make life a little bit awkward. Perhaps you've been living in a little bit of fear of what might happen to those friendships if you get found out. And we just wanted to encourage you that there's great power in the Holy Spirit to fill you and equip you, to strengthen you. Because what you have, the good news that you have, is the most best thing that you've ever received in your entire life. And so our encouragement is to do you believe that that could be the same for someone else? I remember when, you know, when I was 16, 17, you know, I, I was the, the sixth former who wore the clothes that everyone else wore, who spent the money on the Nike Airs, uh, who, you know, who, who had the, the big chains, who, who had the kind of cornrows and, and the fro, who, who had the, the duffel hooded jacket, who wanted to fit in because I was fearful that I could, that I could ever be anything different. And yet this, this little girl, just a little bit of courage, just came, hey, why don't you come along with me? Come to Alpha. That girl that came in my life, she took the step of being bold and courageous, trusting God that the good news and the precious message that she has was worth sharing. You know, you don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to have all the answers. You, don't, you just need to be honest. And so when anyone's going through difficult stuff, why don't you just probe, ask, share, talk? And what you're called to do is not to be someone who has all the essay answers. It's just someone that's willing to share your life. Because the reality is that the precious message that you have is your life, it's your story. Because you're brought into God's story. And his story is one of amazing redemption, hope, joy, peace, goodness, security, value, dignity. It's all there. And you've got it. It's in your heart. So, in conclusion, when the Bible encourages us to give, it, it does not because it's, that's the best thing for the church, the church needs more money, but it, because it's good for you. Because it helps you to place money in its rightful place uh, so that your heart have, have it in the right area. So the, the money doesn't enthrone your life and occupy all your time. And when the Bible encourages you to serve, it does so because it's good for you. It's the best for you because what it does, it helps us to place our lives in the context of others around us. It helps us to become less selfish. It helps us to be more aware of other people's needs. It helps us, for some of us, to look down on the 97, the 98, the 99 and empathise and get alongside and encourage. You know, when the Bible encourages us to share our faith, it does so because it's good for us. It helps us to remember the amazing, precious message and the difference that God has made in our own lives. It reminds us that everything we have will go back in a box one day. And ultimately, what we are made for is to worship, is to worship God. Sharing the good news that we have received is great for other people. It is. But whether they respond to God or not, well, that's up to God and them. The results are his. But we are encouraged ourselves to share our life because that is the best thing for us. It's the best thing for our hearts. As you share what's happened in your life, you remind yourself of what this good news, this precious message that you received. So let's just get the band back up. I felt there was two um, application points. There's a Holy Spirit response. And it might just be that this morning, um, perhaps passion or faith 
has kind of waned in your life recently. Maybe you've just had disheartening experiences sharing life with people. Maybe you've seen others fall away. Maybe people who have had great faith, like leaders or friends or family who've had faith in you and they've fallen away and you wonder, is there really hope in this message? Maybe yourself, you've just experienced dryness and you wonder, God, are you really good? Is this really good news? I feel like there's a, there's a Holy Spirit response for you to be filled again, to be reminded of the precious message, to receive all those things. Maybe it's honour, maybe it's filling with the Holy Spirit's power. Um, yeah, maybe it's just a, that declaration again, here and again, that you are innocent in his eyes. It might be as well that there's opportunity, that for you, um, you just need, the, you know, yeah, you, you know this stuff, you've got it, and you just need God, will you help me to see the opportunities in front of me and then give me boldness and courage to take them when they appear? That's like a Holy Spirit response, and I want to pray for that in a second. The other response is that perhaps, perhaps this is the first time you've really heard about how your fear, your shame, and your guilt is dealt with on the cross. It was dealt with by Jesus. You know, there's an opportunity today for you to put your trust in him again. There's an opportunity today for you to say, Lord, I want my shame and my fear to be nailed to the cross and I want to come into your presence. Would you clothe me with your robe? Would you put your ring on my finger? Would you help me to feel that love and embrace that the Father did of that son? And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray. And um, this is how we do it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the second response first. And so if you'd like to kind of commit your life to Jesus, either the first time, or as a significant recommitment, in a moment, I'm going to get everyone to close their eyes and I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to ask you to indicate who you are. And then after I've done that, I'm going to get everyone to stand and then we're just going to pray for a Holy Spirit empowering in our lives that we might be people that are passionate about God, his precious message, and that we would go out in power, emboldened to share the good news that we have received with others around us. Is that okay? So can I encourage everyone to close their eyes? So like I said, I'm not going to embarrass you, but it'd be really helpful if I know who I'm praying for. And so if you're someone who you want to put your trust in Jesus, you want to know all that means to be declared innocent, to be declared um, guiltless, free from shame, to be honoured, then I want to pray with you and I'd just like you to put your hand up now if that's you so I can just see who I'm praying for. Thank you. Is there any others? So this might be for the first time or a significant recommitment. Okay, it's good. Any others? Yeah, so I can see three. Any more? Okay, you guys put your hands down. Let's pray. You want you to pray with me in your heart. Heavenly Father, I admit that I mess up I admit oh God that I've done things wrong in my life and Father rather than running after all the things that might try to fill this void Lord I'm coming to you Lord I believe in you and I pray would you fill my life again help me to know that you love me help me to know that I'm accepted and loved and cherished I'll just give my life to you again and I ask you, Lord God, that you would receive me. Thank you that you do. In your name, amen. Come and let's all stand. And we're going to pray again. And if that's you, if you want, you know, Holy Spirit empowering, why don't you just, 
Open your hearts out to God in whatever way you feel comfortable. Sometimes as we receive a gift, we open our hands, don't we, to receive the gift. So sometimes opening up our hands is a good way of responding to Jesus as we ask him to fill us with the Holy Spirit. So why don't you do that where you are? And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just pray all across this room. Thank you, Lord God, for this wonderful message, this good news that we can come into your presence, that we can know all of our, our shame, our guilt put to the cross. Lord God, we don't have to be people that walk in fear, but in faith for all that you've done. And I just pray now, all across our room, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you equip us with your empowering Spirit, which gives us boldness and courage to share this wonderful news, to share our lives, to share what you've done in our, in our hearts. And Lord, I pray, would we see many more Ashleys who are transformed from one degree of glory to the next, who just come into your radiant goodness. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we see that in our day. Help us, Lord God. Help us, Lord, knowing that the results are yours. All we're called to is obedience. So fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come and fill this place. Help us, Lord Jesus. I pray, would you have your way in our lives? Thank you, you're good and worthy of all our praise. Amen. Cool. We're going to worship him. We'll spend some time in his presence. I want you to keep doing business with God and love him. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us. Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.